want to invite you to open your Bibles if you have them. I hope you have them. I'm going to call on some volunteers in a little while to read uh, some Scripture. As I said in the email I sent out and earlier, uh, I'm not going to be sharing with you a regular message, but I am going to talk for a little bit. Um, you can open to Mark 8. Uh, I think I've probably shared this at some point along the way. When I was um, first in Bible college many years ago and took my first preaching course, uh, one of the things that you are taught is that a sermon should be like a bullet, not like a shotgun shell. Uh, a bullet is kind of one thing, and so as you stand before God's people to speak, really you should try and focus on one thing, and, and that all that you say would get at that one point, the sermonic sentence, if you will. And uh, whereas a shotgun shell, if you're familiar with that, rather than a bullet that hits its mark, a shotgun shell is full of a whole bunch of little pellets and it spreads out and it's just everything. And and one of the reasons why you're taught that early on is because often as a young preacher, you you have all this good stuff you want to say and you try and say it all and so you go everywhere. Well, this morning, this isn't a sermon proper. Uh, This is going to be more like a shotgun shell. There's a whole bunch of things that I want to say uh, this morning to, to lay the groundwork, if you will, for our conversation about what it means for us as God's people to live faithfully as disciples of Jesus in this season. Uh, so that is, that is ultimately our focus, and that's where we want to begin, uh, thinking about discipleship. Uh, discipleship, what discipleship entails. And, and to that end, I want to begin just with one verse in Mark's Gospel, uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Uh, Jesus says this, Uh, This is about the midpoint of Mark's Gospel. Some of you will know Mark's Gospel is the shortest of all the Gospels. And some scholars describe Mark's Gospel as a passion narrative, that is the story of Jesus' last week with an extended introduction. We get to chapter 8, and really after chapter 8, Jesus is going to Jerusalem, he's in Jerusalem, and it's the passion narrative. And so this is really at the, the hinge of that Gospel. And Jesus has just told his disciples that he's going to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. Peter has said, no, Jesus, back up the truck. Uh, Messiahs don't die. You don't win by letting your enemies kill you. Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You 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 do not have the concerns of God in mind, but merely human concerns. And then Jesus says this in verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Uh, Three things relatively quickly about discipleship here. Jesus says that discipleship, being his disciple, entails three things. First, it it entails self-denial. That is, to be a disciple is not about finding yourself. That's a message we hear in our culture. It's about denying yourself. It's not about your agenda. It's not about my agenda, my desires, my life. No, in fact, Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. When we come to Christ, uh, we are called to deny self. It's not about my rights. It's about Jesus, Jesus' life in me. Second, Jesus says, you must take up your cross. Well, we have largely lost the sense of scandal, the scandal of the cross. The cross was a cruel instrument of 
execution in that day. Uh, we wear, so many people in our culture wear crosses as, uh, as jewelry, but how horrific would it be to wear a little electric chair or a little syringe from lethal injection? I mean, that is the equivalent of this. The cross was an instrument, instrument of death, of torture. To, to take up your cross uh, is to em, embrace death and suffering. Jesus just told his disciples, I'm going to be crucified, and Peter resisted that. He said, no, 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 that's not how you win. That's not how kings rule. That's not how messiahs roll. Back up the truck, Jesus. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. You have in mind not the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus goes to the cross. He walks the way of the cross, and he calls us to follow him in that way. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lost his life under the Nazis, said that when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die suggests that we not, ought not be surprised when a life of following Jesus includes and involves suffering for Jesus. In fact, we're going to see that in Philippians as we make our way through the book of Philippians, that suffering is part of following Jesus. And so we ought not to be surprised. In fact, I want to say, what if COVID-19, what if this season is for us, particularly as followers of Jesus in the West, what if this is a wake-up call from God for the church? Because we might find the difficulties we face, the suffering that may lay on the horizon, we, we can be alarmed by this. But the truth is that our brothers and sisters around the world in so many places already know what it is to suffer for their faith, even to lose their lives for their faith. What if what we are going through is a wake-up call? We should not be surprised. We're called to deny self, to take up our cross, and then to follow Jesus, to become like Jesus, to go where Jesus went, to do what Jesus did, to become, be shaped by Him. The Sermon on the Mount, a really rich portion of Scripture, shows a picture of what we look like as the gospel, the good news that through Christ's death on the cross, through faith in Him, we are forgiven, we are made alive, we are clothed with His righteousness. It is a picture of what our lives look like as that reality takes root in our hearts and bursts forth. We are gospelized. We, we become more like Jesus in following Him wherever He goes, not living in fear. You may recall, if you've been around for a little while, when COVID first hit, I took a couple Sundays and spoke directly to this, at that point, very unknown reality. What's going on? What's coming? There were so many unknowns. In the second week, I spoke from Psalm 46, which begins this way. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, therefore, because of who God is, because He is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Therefore we will not fear. As we follow Jesus in a life that entails denial of self and embracing the way of the cross and following Jesus wherever He leads, we need not fear. And so I want that to be our anchor this morning as we uh, engage in conversation. Now I want to do two other things, or a couple, few other things before we 
dive into some text together and open it up for conversation. First, I want to lay uh, just some foundational stones as we talk, some things that we, I think, are really critical for us to bear in mind and remember. First is that God is on the throne. God is on the throne that is above every other throne. We walked through the, the book of Revelation not so long ago, and we saw in that text that despite what was going on, despite the very real suffering that was coming upon God's people, Yet in the midst of that, God opens the curtains, if you will, and through John gives his people this vision of, of Jesus, the Lamb, and the Father on the throne that is above every throne. In fact, in the midst of exile, as John is exiled to the island of Patmos and Rome is at the peak of its might and its glory, John in chapter 18 sings a funeral dirge over the Roman Empire. The powers that be are not ultimate powers. God is on the throne. We must bear that in mind. Second, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. This should not surprise us. Uh, the world has fallen into sin and rebellion. We are a part of that. We were God's enemies until God saved us. We put our faith in Him when we were redeemed. We were made alive. But, but we were God's enemies. And the world is marred by sin, by rebellion. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And so we ought not to be surprised when we see sin, when we see evil, when we see things that are hard and difficult and things that we don't want. We live in a broken world. We live in, in a world that still has sin and rebellion. Jesus himself, a verse that I often quote for you, in this world you will have trouble. We ought not be surprised. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. Third, Jesus is the only hope for the world. He, he is our only hope. He is the only hope for the world. There is no political solution to what ails this world. There is no other hope. There is no other solution. Christ came to conquer evil and sin through His death on the cross, through the way of the cross. And Christ is at work even now in the midst of a world where we see evil and sin. And Christ will yet return to bring to consummation, to fullness, to completion, His redemptive work. And apart from Christ, there is no solution. There is no hope. Christ alone is the hope of the world. Fourth, through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, we are redeemed. We receive eternal life. And we are secure. We are safely in the arms of God. And therefore, there is nothing that we need to fear. Through faith in Christ, we are redeemed. In Philippians, as we continue our study there, Paul's going to say, and he says this from a Roman prison, chained to a Roman soldier, he says, for me, to die is gain, to live is Christ. He says, if I, if I die, I go be with Christ. If I live, I live for Christ. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Our lives are hidden with Christ. Our lives are secure in Christ. We are utterly invincible because we are in Christ. Fifth, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We have a spiritual enemy. Ephesians 5.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. John 10, Jesus says, The enemy, the thief, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan 
We saw this in Revelation. Satan is a defeated enemy, but he is enraged. And he is taking out his rage on humanity, particularly on the church, but all of humanity. He wants to destroy all that God wants to do. And so we need to realize that we have a spiritual enemy. And, and on that, I want to ask this question. Do we recognize the enemy behind our enemy? Do we recognize, even in someone who wants to do evil to us, that there is an enemy behind them? That that person in front of us, that person on the screen, that, that person we read about who is against us, who is doing things that are evil, that, that there's an enemy behind them and that that person needs Christ. That that person is in the grip of Satan and we need to pray for them. We need to proclaim the hope of the gospel to them. Do we see the enemy behind our enemy? We live in a world where there's so much demonizing of people, where the, the divisions are so huge and there's so much hatred and there's so much vitriol. Do we recognize the true enemy, the enemy behind any, any enemy we might have? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Sixth, we are to guard our tongues. We are to guard what we say, and I'm going to add to that what we post. Social media is a way of speaking. And so as God's people, as those who are loved by Christ and embraced by Christ, we need to be careful that we are proclaiming Christ and the hope of, of Christ. That we don't participate in the hatred and the division. Psalm 39.1 we read, I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. James 3, we read, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We need to guard our tongues. We need to give thought to what we say, to what we proclaim, whether that's verbally or otherwise. I think those are six foundational stones, six foundational truths that we need to bear in mind through our conversation today. And now I want to turn and just walk through some things, what Jesus calls us to as his disciples. Jesus calls us as his children, as his redeemed brothers and sisters. He calls us to love our enemies, Matthew 5, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's relatively easy to love those who love you. But Jesus says, and this is in the Sermon on the Mount, this is what happens as the gospel takes root in our hearts, transforming us in light of the good news. We become women and men, young and old, who love our enemies, who pray for those who persecute us. That is a high calling, a daunting calling, and quite frankly, not one that we can do by our own striving, by our own strength. We need the gospel to take root in our hearts, and we need the empowering of His Holy Spirit. But this is what we're called to as disciples. Second, we are to be peacemakers. The Beatitudes paint a picture of what it looks like as the gospel takes root in us. And, and it's not that some of us have one quality and some have another. No, all eight Beatitudes are, are characteristics of those in whom the gospel is taking root. And one is that we are peacemakers. That, that is not just, not just running off and enjoying peace, but that we, we would make peace. We'd run into the midst of chaos. We'd run into the midst of conflict. And that our presence there would bring the peace of Christ. That's who we are to be as disciples of Christ. 
Third, do not repay evil with evil. In Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do good, uh, do what is good for each other and for everyone else. We will, again, we live in a world that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're going to encounter evil, we're going to encounter sin, we're going to encounter opposition, we may encounter enemies. What does it look like to not repay evil with evil, but to do good to all? Fourth, we are called to not be afraid. This is the most often repeated command in all of Scripture. Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Remember, our lives are hidden with Christ. We are secure in Christ. We are redeemed by Christ. We already have eternal life now. We live the life of the future now. And so we need not fear. Not long ago in my quiet time, I read Psalm 37. Do not fret because of those who are evil. No matter what we see, no matter our perceptions of what's going on in our world around us with COVID and COVID responses, and do not fret because of those who are evil. Do not be afraid. Fifth, we're called to keep first things first. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. So we need to ask ourselves as we live in the midst of this season, am I seeking first the kingdom of God? Am I living for his glory, for the advance of his kingdom, for the proclamation of the truth of Jesus, to make him known, or am I getting distracted by these other realities? Not realities that we should ignore and pretend aren't there, but, but are. am I keeping first things first? Am I seeking first his kingdom? Sixth, we are to give up our rights. It's not about our rights. When we come to Christ, remember self-denial, we deny self. Christ comes to live in us. So it's not about you and me. It's not about our rights. And we see this so powerfully in 1 Corinthians. Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, speaking to a church where one brother is taking another brother to court to deal with lawsuits. Paul says, why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? A little bit later, he's speaking about financial support. He's refused the support of Uh, the financial support of the Corinthians for a number of reasons I won't get into, while at the same time accepting it from the Philippians. We've already talked about that, and we'll see that more as we walk through Philippians in the coming weeks. But he says, it's not that we didn't have the right to, but we, we gave up that right. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He gives up his rights for the sake of the gospel. What does it look like for us to put our own concerns, our own rights, and say, you know what, those are not ultimate. I want to do whatever it will take to advance the gospel of Christ. I'll make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And seventh, back to where we began, self-denial. Mark 8, 34, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. In Romans 12, Paul says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That, that is, we live our lives as a sacrifice. We don't live for ourselves. Our, our lives are offered up to God. And, and the trouble with a living sacrifice is that it can crawl off the altar. And so we need to keep getting back on saying, that's right, my life is yours, my life is yours, my life is yours. These are the things, some of the things that Christ calls us to that I think we need to bear in mind. But one more thing I want to say, and then I'll just do a few guidelines, and then we'll dive into our conversation. 
We can have the next slide with the diagram there. Uh, the reality is, and I think there's a lot of complicated things when it comes to this conversation. How do we live as disciples of Jesus in this world? I've been saying for a long time to my own family and in a few contexts, I think in some ways it would be easier to live as a disciple of Jesus in a totalitarian state where, where we don't vote, where we can't be politically involved because it would be quite simple, just follow Jesus. But that's not where God has planted us. And so what are our response? And this diagram shows a, a spectrum. Okay? At one end, there's the response where we, we just... We're, we, we, we run away, we, we go up north, we find some bush, and we just quietly try and live our lives uh, un, unaffected by government and politics and what's going on in our world. At the other end of the spectrum would be the response where we try and take over government. We, we try and put Christians in power and we, we pass uh, laws that honor Christ and we try and, uh, we, we try and order the world the way God wants it. And we, we use political power to that end. Maybe the, the religious right would be towards that end of the spectrum. But there are these two opposite ends, right? Where we run away and hide and circle the wagons, or we try and take over. We try and use power to make things good. Make things the way God wants them. And I want to say today, I think both of those extremes are wrong-headed. We're called to be in the world, to be light, to be salt. We're also not called to embrace the ways of the world, but rather the way of the cross. And so where does that leave us? It leaves us living with the tension of, in the messy middle. And I'm not here today to say, here's the definitive spot. This is exactly how, this is what we want to wrestle through together. We want to listen to one another, listen to the Spirit, listen to the Scriptures, and say, in this season, what does it look like for us to follow Jesus faithfully? Uh, a few guidelines for our conversation. We can have the next slide. We don't all come to this conversation from the same place. We have come to some different conclusions. We feel differently about some things. Uh, my heart, our heart, James and I, as leaders, we, we want uh, to guard the unity of the church. And so the first thing I want to say is that kindness and humility should characterize our conversation. That we want to be loving and gracious we want to have the humility to say, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't have the answer on what this looks like. I, I might have an answer. Uh, I might think this is what we sense God leading us to. But even at the end of this conversation, we may not all be aligned. But I pray that we would be unified. So let's be kind and, uh, and exercise humility as we talk. Uh, secondly, we're not here to debate the science related to COVID or COVID responses. Uh, we don't want to go there. Now, that doesn't mean that in the course of conversation you can't mention things. I know that may just simply be part of the conversation, but we're not here to debate the science. And if we start going down one of those bunny trails, I will try to graciously shut that down. That's not our goal. Our, our question, again, is what does it look like for us to follow Jesus faithfully in this season? Second, we're, we're not here to debate various news reports and expert opinions. I would contend that in the day of the internet, we can find anyone to say anything to back up. Like there's, a, there's a whole host. And that's one of the confusing things when you hear uh, experts saying opposite things. And so we're not here to debate and share, you know, oh, I read this. Again, what does it mean for us to follow Jesus faithfully in this time? Uh, we do want to listen to the Spirit of God. God's, God is present with us, and so we want to hear. What is the Spirit saying to us as we gather in this way? 
we want to listen to the Scriptures together with one another, paying attention to the historical context of the passages that we will read. And we're going to look at uh, four, maybe a fifth one, which is important regarding context. But for all of these texts that come out of uh, the Bible, the New Testament, uh, God's people live under foreign rule, Roman rule, Roman domination, in some cases Roman oppression. And so that's important. And and lastly, we, we want to hear one another. We want to listen and we want to hear, and, and in order to do that, I think it's important that we, we not be formulating our response while someone else is talking. Let's listen. Let's be okay with some moments of silence. We've tried to nurture that here at Sunrise. We want to do that this morning. There can be some periods of quiet. I will try and honor that too, rather than filling the space uh, with my own voice. Let's listen and really hear one another this morning. So we're going to Open it up shortly. I think what we will do is we're going to take a brief intermission. Uh, Diana did make coffee. I know those of you online can't grab it. We're going to take a very brief intermission. If you want to grab a coffee, you can do that. When we come back, I'm going to ask some volunteers to read some texts. And then, uh, and then we will talk together about what God is saying. Uh, you are welcome, if you are here, to come up and use one of the mics. We have two individuals who will wipe them down with a... Uh, a, a wipe to sanitize them between speakers. So if you feel comfortable doing that, you can do that. Otherwise, you can stand, and I will try and repeat as best I can what you've shared so that for the benefit of those online. Those of you who are online will be able to speak through Zoom. Uh, I think Doug will get your face up on the screen. So there's a camera here so people can see everyone who's between a certain spot. Um, if you come to the mics, you'll, you'll be uh, on camera. So uh, we want to just have an open conversation and, and we'll, see, we'll see how long things go. Um, we, will, we will certainly carry on longer than our normal gathering, which would be around 11.15. Uh, we're open to going uh, beyond that, just to give one another time to talk. Again, we, we want to focus on what does it mean, what does it look like for us to follow Jesus faithfully in this time. So let's, take, let's try and keep it five minutes or so. If, we can, if you want to grab a drink or something from there, do that, and then return to your seats, and then we will dive into our conversation.